In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Men, when, if ever, is it okay to use physical force or resort to violence? Is it okay to defend the weak and the powerless? Is it okay to defend yourself? Or is physical violence or physical force never okay? Join us today as we dive headlong into scripture, look at the history of the church regarding violence, and try to come up with our own conclusions. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Guys, this episode is sponsored by Juniper Mountain Trading Post, and I want to talk to you about their Bourbon Barrel Aged Collection. This is a collection of roasted coffee beans that are literally put in 15-year-old Kentucky bourbon barrels and rolled in the barrels. No sugar is added, no artificial flavor is added like a lot of your flavored coffees. This comes out straight from the barrels. I'm not a flavored coffee guy, but I love the taste of this bourbon barrel coffee and the different flavors that manifest whenever I drink it. And so you might want to check it out, guys. I love this company. They've got phenomenal coffee, and I encourage you to go check it out. If you go over there to junipermountaintradingpost.com, and when you're going through checkout, if you enter the word arena, they will give you 10% off your purchase. And this is a, what I like about this coffee also is it's high, high level at a very affordable price. So go check them out. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Equipping Men in 10. I'm Jim Ramos, your guide and host of today's number one podcast for Christian men, leading you to your best version in that stress bubble of life and beyond. Before we get into this controversial, potentially controversial podcast, I want to share a hero story with you. As you know, our hero stories are given to us from you and from those you love, a testifying of a transformation that's happened in your life. When we use your hero story, we will send you a special gift just to say thanks for the contribution. And we are gathering 365 of these this year. So uh, man, love to get your support on that. So today's hero story came from Sonny on Spotify, and he writes in regarding our interview with Brant Hansen on becoming the man the world needs. I really appreciate this episode. 
Of particular note, I was challenged by the notion that others should feel safe and secure when I'm around. It changed the way I think of things. Thanks for the great show. And I'll tell you what, guys, that episode impacted me as well. Uh, I began uh, being the uh, volunteer security guard for the local school that meets below me uh, because I want these children, when they see me, to feel safe and not scared of the big man. So um, appreciate that, Sonny. Hit us up at infoatmentoring.org. We want to send you a special gift to say thanks. Guys, here's the question today, and I realize that this is going to generate a lot of emotion and a lot of response, and I just want to invite you into my space as I continue to process this question. When, if ever, is it okay as a follower of Jesus to use physical force or respond with violence? When or if ever. Now, there's a lot of opinions and a lot of different things that we can gather from scripture. I'm going to try to nail it down and give you my best take on the issue, but you ultimately have to decide this for yourself. You know, how do we, first we have to start with this. How do we balance the tension between the God we read about in the first 39 books of the Old Testament with the God we read about in the last 27 books of the New Testament. You know, in Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 to 22, you know, we see God saying, hey man, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, we see Jesus say, hey man, turn the other cheek, guys, turn the other cheek. But in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, we read of a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Then again, in James chapter 117, we read of a God where there is no variation or shifting shadow. So what we have to do is we have to take uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, we have to put them together and go, okay, God, what is really going on here? What are you wanting of your grace-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, New Testament living followers of Jesus Christ? You know, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42, Jesus said, You heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever so slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to those who ask you and do not do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Well, then I couple that with Edmund Burke's statement, which I've held on to for years. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So, so how does a good man re- respond to Matthew chapter 5? Because in Matthew chapter 18, the same Jesus who said to turn the other cheek, in Matthew 18 verses 5 through 6 says, And whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, but... Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Man, that sounds pretty active to me. That doesn't sound like a turn-the-other-cheek passage to me. So we have to balance what Jesus is saying versus the whole or the entirety of Scripture here. So there are, if we look at the history of the church, the 2,000-plus years the church of Jesus has been in existence, there are four distinct and diverse views of violence. So as followers of Jesus, we have to look at the you know church, the church history, we have to look at Scripture, and we have to come up with our own conclusion. So here are the four views and practices within Christianity when it, when it comes to violence in the history of the church. 
The first view is the non-resistance view. I call this the turn-the-other-cheek view. You know, the early church during the Roman Empire adopted a non-violent stance when it came to war. Imitating Jesus' sacrificial life was preferable for them. But it's interesting, when you read church history, they were crucified not because of their... Uh, faith in Jesus, but because of their stubbornness to compromise. So so there's a there's a little bit of a rub there. You see this term non-resistance is taken from Matthew 5.39, where D- Jesus tells us not to resist evil. So this doesn't mean not resist in any form, uh, militarily or personally. It means showing genuine love to all, friend or foe. The problem is during the Old Testament time period, God allowed and even at times commanded his people to go to war and to execute punishment on the lawbreakers. I mean, over and over in Scripture, we see God telling his soldiers to kill women, children, sheep, goats, pigs, everything. I mean, massacre, wipe out, annihilate, destroy. But in the New Testament, Jesus commands us to love our enemies in Matthew 5, 24, and to overcome evil with good, Paul responds in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. So these teachings and commands are for the Christian and the church, not the unbeliever. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean, you can hear, listen to what I'm saying here, but it's not going to matter to you. You're going to adopt your own secular view. But if you're a Christian, we have to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus and how do we respond with force or without force? Non-resistance. So this, so following Jesus must permeate every area of our life. And if we adopt this view of non-resistance, uh, we are adopting the view to resist nothing except for James four seven tells us to resist the devil. But never are we told to resist or fight against the evils of society. So the non-resistance view would not fight against anybody, not protest, not do anything. The non-resistance mindset includes a willingness to pray for and submit to earthly authorities based on Romans 13, 1-7, even though we cannot obey them in certain situations where obedience to them would constitute disobedience to God as written in His Word, the Holy Scriptures. So a non-resistance person will not will not be involved in picketing, will not be inv- they will just quietly submit and just go on. You, you will never hear from them. They just will do their own thing. That's really what separates the non-resistance ideology of of uh, violence and force with number two, which is Christian pacifism. So the root word pacifi is a, is a Latin word taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. So the, the dictionary defines pacifism as, quote, opposition to war or violence as a means of settling disputes. At first glance, this seems very similar to non-resistance, as I previously talked about, but it's actually distinctly different. There is, with passivism, there is an activism that is often associated with it. For example, we use a pacifier when we want to make a fussy baby become quiet. It it conveys a, a forced Peace. And that's what we're talking about with passivism. Passivism could also be considered nonviolent resistance. Nonviolence is a term used more recently in place of passivism. So when you hear the word nonviolent protest, you know, we're talking about passivism here. I believe this is what Martin Luther King Jr. did. This is how he, you know, pushed his movement forward. 
Passivism or nonviolence is the act of rejecting physical violence while working on an endeavor to obtain political, economic, or social-ended goals. It is a surface rejection of violence or physical force, except in cases when deemed absolutely necessary in order to advance the cause of peace. So pacifist, his, the aim of a pacifist is to establish a better world by eliminating war. He or she attempts to bring peace and harmony among the unregenerated nations on earth by working through political influence. In other words, he or she is trying to sanctify the believer, reform the sinner, and Christianize an unconverted society. So there's a there's an agenda attached to pacifism. There's a political, oftentimes, or social agenda, and there's a resistance, although nonviolent. The third uh, ideology of physical force and warfare, or the use when to use violence, is the just war theory. So the concept of just war accepts limited use of war as acceptable, and originated it originated with the early non-Christian Roman and Greek thinkers such as Cicero and Plato. So this is originally not a Christian concept, but the theory was adopted in the 350s AD by uh, St. Augustine, who's probably the most well-read author. He wrote over 150 books, uh, and other Christian thinkers borrowed much of his much of the uh, ideologies of Cicero and, and of the Roman law. Even though just war is concept widely accepted early on, warfare is not seen as as a virtuous activity. Expressing concern for the salvation of those who killed enemies in battle, regardless of the cause for which they fought, was common. So just war would say there are cases when we need to use physical force, but in those cases, the people who administer physical force, there's a question as to uh, whether or not uh, they are doing the right thing or whether or not killing is murder or whether or not you know, uh, defending oneself with physical violence is okay. So even though just war uh, accepts and admits there are times for this, uh, it's not a virtuous activity. It is something not that we should not seek out. It is something that we should respond to when there is a need and a call for justice. The fourth is called the crusade or holy war. Uh, this concept, this ideology around physical force was non-existent before the 11th century AD. Uh, holy war is a war or violent campaign waged often by religious extremists for what is considered to be a holy purpose. So this concept of holy war is is was considered at the time as an opportunity for someone to be penitent of something they had done or repentant and spiritually meritorious act. So I would go and I would attack another person and kill other people because they believe differently than me. And because of that, I would receive repentance. And it was seen as a highly uh, meritorious, uh, valorious act. And so this, this is a... Um, this is a theory that really is not around much anymore. So regardless of these, which of these four uh, views that you hold, the massive majority of men using, uh, considering this podcast would agree that a man still has, and here's where I would really veer, uh, I think a man still, 
And I think a lot of you would agree with me. I think a, a man still has the responsibility to defend and protect the weak and defenseless by whatever means they had, whatever means they can. You know. So, which of the four philosophies of violence or war do you hold? Non-resistance, Christian pacifism, just war theory, or crusade and holy war is is something that you need to decide about, upon, and then you need to explain why. You know, Timothy Keller uh, recently passed away, and he said this. Justice is care for the vulnerable. Justice reflects the character of God. Justice is right relationships, and justice includes generosity. And so when I think of physical force and when to apply it and when not to, my mind goes back to justice and how God feels about justice, because it's really interesting. If you look at three words in the Bible, the word destroy, the word love, and the word kill, Okay, in the in the New American Standard version of the Bible, the word love is mentioned four hundred and eighty four times. The word kill is mentioned three hundred and one times, and the word destroy is mentioned three four hundred and thirty four times. So these are not far from each other. These these words and these are all in the Bible, and God tells us to love or destroy or kill. It's really interesting when you when you unpack this. Most of the kill and destroy is almost all of it is in the Old Testament, but they seem to diametrically oppose each other. So as a person who follows Christ, we must look at the entirety of Scripture. We must look at everything Jesus said, and we must put together what we believe is the truth based on all those facts. And and there are people much smarter than me that would disagree with me. There are people that are that are that would agree with me. Uh, we're all going to hold different views here. My object is to my object is to challenge you to grab your own view and then live accordingly. So when I so when I'm talking about the entirety of the Bible, I'm talking about hermeneutics. It's taking the entire Bible and looking at it and coming to a biblical conclusion of truth based on what we see. So what is the godly man's, let's go back to this, what is the godly man's stance on defending the weak and powerless? My friend Paul Coughlin wrote, though God hates bullying, most Christians do not. We must transform passive witnesses into courageous protectors. Bullies eat through the niceness doctrine like termites through wood. Instead, they respond to power greater than their own. I thought that was a very powerful quote. So we're at the end of this podcast and you're probably saying, Jim, You still haven't answered the question. Again, this is my own conclusion from Scripture. You may or may not agree, and that's totally okay with you, but this is where I believe. From a national standpoint, after studying the Bible in its entirety and the character and nature of our unchanging God, I believe that I am a proponent of the just war theory of violence when it comes to society. So nationally speaking, I do not think war is a virtuous act. I don't think we should seek violence. I don't think we should seek out war. I do, however, think, such as in World War II, when we were bombed by the Japanese, I do believe that we have a a mandate to go in and to defend ourselves against nations that are attacking us. I do believe that nationally. I do believe that we are called to protect uh, the weak and defenseless and to act accordingly as a nation. Personally, I believe that Jesus would use force I believe Jesus would use physical force as a human to protect and defend weak and powerless people over the bully. We saw this in in a small level when he got indignant, Mark records, with people who were preventing the children from coming to him. I believe that Jesus would have protected children 
and he would have used force. I believe that. I don't. I mean, I believe that. We saw him get a little edgy in the temple in John chapter two, and I personally believe that Jesus loved little children so much that he. We saw Jesus loved crippled people so much he healed them on the Sabbath. I believe that Jesus uh, would would defend the weak and powerless, and I believe that he did that by dying a violent death on the cross for you and I. The third thing I want to say about this is I believe in 2 Timothy 3.12 that the godly in Christ will be persecuted. So I believe that if somebody is going to come to me and they are going to persecute me physically to the point of death and crucifixion or death and decapitation, maybe death by sword, death by bullet, death by hanging, I believe if somebody is going to persecute me for my faith, verbally or physically, for my faith, it is an honor to glorify Jesus and to take it. I will not fight against somebody who wants to persecute me for my faith in Jesus. It is an honor to suffer for Jesus. However, if that same person comes at me to uh, rob me, to hurt me, to violate me, I am a biblical steward of God's of this body God has given me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, so I am called to protect this temple as a steward. So if somebody comes at me with the only motivation to violate me, they will have a rude awakening as I unleash my full weight and force upon them to defend myself. But that same person persecuting me for Jesus, I will allow that to happen. I know that sounds counterintuitive, That is what I believe. Guys, if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, please make sure that you are not just listening to this podcast, but you are subscribing. So whether you're on YouTube or you're on one of our podcast channels, please, please, please just subscribe. That helps us move up in the charts and help us to reach more people for Christ. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.